Let's just pray. God, thank you. Thank you for that amazing chronicle of something that is something we wish so bad we could have seen and and experienced, the creation of this world, the masterpiece and the brilliance that goes into all those creatures and planets and universe that you created. Thank you. Thank you that as we talk about this this morning, God, I pray you would awaken in each of us um, and help our eyes to be open to see the beauty of the world around us. Not that we would worship the world, but that we would worship you even greater, that we would see who you are, that we would understand something about you that maybe we haven't thought about before. God, let my words just propel inspiration, and um, God, I pray you would just um, let this be a unique opportunity for people to see and understand another facet of who you are. In Christ's name, amen. This is when you wish redemption lets you know in advance that Luke wasn't teaching, so you could have, you know, gone to breakfast or something, so you got to hear uh, a message by an architect. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Um, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great gift uh, to be able to be entrusted with designing a new, uh, a new building for you. Uh, the idea that you're going to be doing services like this in a building that we imagined and spaces for your kids to grow up and, and for them to learn about Jesus, uh, the idea that we get to shape those spaces and places where you'll have years of memories, uh, it's, it's a huge responsibility and uh, at one level it's a burden uh, that we like. It's that kind of a challenge, but yet it's this massive gift. And so thank you for that. Um, we have, you have a team of engineers and architects and designers and landscape architects and mechanical engineers, and I could name all the people that are involved, but there's probably a, about a hundred or more people that are involved in putting together a set of drawings that is now hundreds of people will be involved in building and executing that. So thank you for that. Um, and it's an honor to get to speak to you a little bit about how we think. So this idea that God and design is really kind of going one layer deeper and thinking God is designer. You know, I like this intersection of God and design. It feels very natural to me. Um, we, think, uh, we think of God, obviously, in many ways. We think of all the facets of his nature and his personality. Um, but I am confident to say that um, as creator, this might be an aspect of God that we haven't given enough attention to. Um, maybe due to the fact that there's so much fear about thinking about worshiping his creation, we've kind of like looked away and said, we're really going to focus on God and who he is. I agree. But we really would be well served if we would pay a little bit of attention to the amazing beauty that actually, if you read through Psalms, many of the psalmists are writing uh, and they talk about being inspired by nature in terms of their worship. So maybe that would even do that for us. It says in Psalms 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have them, made them all, and the earth is full of your creation. So God created. He's this sovereign creator. He made everything. He authored this brilliant system that we call the universe. Um, we get to walk around and live in this we complain about the weather, but if you think about 
things like the weather. It's a gift, like how it is warm in the summer and cooler in the winter. <laughs> how there's all these different experiences that are affecting us. Um, they're around us, and yet we take them as life, or we call it, it's, you know, we can even say it's boring or mundane. But if you look under the layer of all of that's created, the brilliance behind it, it's really astounding. The, the idea that we can pay attention to him and appreciate what he's created uh, has, has a major implication. So we have this saying in our studio, and I say this, that where there is design, there's always a designer. And we accept that in the world. We accept that where things are designed, we always know there was either a team or an individual or someone behind it. And yet in nature... We, we tend to, due to the fall, due to sin, due to whatever, we credit it to nature, mother nature. No credit to God as designer, that he has literally orchestrated and designed things that we can't even imagine as men and women to think of systems as complicated as what's been designed. In, in Romans 1.19 through 21, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We're not confused about this point in the man-made world. If I gave you a field and we piled up a bunch of raw materials in that field and we left it alone and I said, no, 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 we don't need anyone. Just leave it alone. I'll see you in about a thousand years. Meet me here and we're going to have a rocket ship or a telescope. Just, just trust me. It'll happen. Just stay away long enough and the, these things will work out. Something will happen. There'll be some moisture and, and we'll have something. I think we would all agree that, no, we need a team to design and to create something. And yet, we tend to take the world around us as if, as if, as if it were just here, as if it's nature. And, and we, we rob the designer from his credit. And yet, there's nothing on this earth created by man as complex as the systems of nature around us. We, 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 we live in a world that has in nature omitted the designer, we've reduced him to mother nature, and yet we can't even design something that has anywhere near the complexity of most of what he's made. Redemption Church says all of life is all for Jesus. And I believe that if you see nature, if you see and appreciate God's created world around you in this way, it'll be even that much easier for you to see how Jesus is in all of life. That God's creation of the world is so meticulous, so brilliant, so wise, so detailed, that you will be in awe, as you probably should be, as we all should be, for what is around us. It, if we could think about the world we live in and appreciate the science, the technology, the engineering, and the art, the mathematics, the brilliance of what God did, it would, it would revolutionize how we see nature. 
I, I'm an architect. I practice now for almost 25 years. In our studio, it's my passion and my profession. It's my daily practice to think about the world around us and then to say, could we even apply a fraction of that brilliance to the work we design? Could we take actually that kind of a principled way of thinking about life, about design, and apply that quality of thinking so that we could design spaces and environments for our clients to meet their dreams and their needs? That's, that's a philosophy. We, 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 sometimes people call it a style. We, we tend to veer away from that word. We like to think about our work as a, as, a, as a philosophical approach to architecture. So if we think about that, and I'm a human earthly designer, then I think, okay, I have this small sliver of God's gift of creation. God is creator. I have to have a philosophy about my attitude about how we design, or I would design without any convictions. So he must have very strong design convictions. So it got me thinking, I want to propose that we may have missed one of the great lessons of design that is around us in the way the world is intricately and purposely designed and see how it could possibly inspire us to think deeper, richer, and more substantially in the way we design. I would even venture to say that it would even enlarge our image of God and it would cause us to be reminded of his brilliance more often. I'm quickly going to just unpack and unfold. I think of God many times as we think of the facets of his nature. We think of kind of the nature of his, of his, of his personality. I'm going to take this idea of creation. And I'm going to unfold it like a complex piece of folded paper and just show you all or a few of those folds of that paper. Much of what we learn through nature is imitation. We see something we like and we say, yeah, make it like that. Go copy that. You've heard the slogan, right? A compliment, the highest form of a compliment is imitation, right? It's, it's basically go copy that. But there's something shallow about that. In the world of design, you, you know, it's proliferated with images. People today use all sorts of images to create what they think of design. But most of the time, they're just lifting and copying and cut and pasting from other things. So as architects, we kind of think about this in layers. And if the tip of the iceberg is imitation, then maybe if you get down just below the water level, it's inspiration. That's a better way, right? You can be inspired by something else. You can be inspired to appreciate how that designer or that engineer or that scientific mind or mathematical mind thought about that and you can say, I could think about this over here in a similar way or I could look at it that way. So inspiration is really great. It's a very important tool. But then there is a third level, this deeper level, and it goes to the philosophy. There's an artist, uh, excuse me, there's a writer who writes a book for artists and his book is called Steal Like an Artist. His name is Austin Cleon. And he writes in his book, you don't want your work to look like your heroes. You want to learn to see the world the way your heroes see the world. So if I take that principle from his book and I apply it to this idea of nature, of creation, of God's designed reality, then I go, 
interesting. So if I'm going to learn from that, I should take the very philosophy God used in design and I should apply it to maybe thinking about, should we be thinking along those lines? That is there actually a God philosophy to design that could be learned from? So we can see something beautiful in nature. We can go copy its texture, texture of the back of a cockroach, by the way, on the left side. Not maybe what you would think when you are about to kill it. But it's intricately beautiful. The most beautiful dress might have literally sequins that overlay that are inspired by the back of a cockroach. How interesting. Do we really think about the, the design of the world around us, the things that at the microscopic level are unbelievably beautiful. Maybe you can't see it. Maybe you need a microscope or you need a special tool to understand it. But the idea that there's beauty around us, how can we go further than just being copies, just being influenced? How can we actually not be just inspired, but actually go to that, depth, that other deeper level and, and be changed in terms of the way we think? So we have this gift. We know who the designer of the world is. We know it's God. We know that all things from molecules to bacteria, from elephants to people, the solar system and planets, what if we could dive down and ask this deeper question? What if we could ask what the design philosophy is behind the design of the world? What is God's design philosophy? Could we then actually go and apply that design philosophy to our work? and find a deeper motivation and meaning behind how we design. So philosophers for generations have thought about this. People like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, they develop complex approaches to proposing that the cosmos have an intellectual cause. Thomas Aquinas, a philosopher and theologian, developed what he called the five ways, motion, causation, contingency, degree, and design. It was these five ways that he felt the world showed and reflected intelligent design. So I'm going to borrow a little bit from that list because I want to understand that God must have had a tremendous amount of thought when he designed 350,000 beetles. And in each one of those 350,000 beetles, and by the way, the people who say that's Actually, not all of them yet, that we continue to find new beetles every year. There's something astounding in the very details of those insects. Clearly, there are countless ways to analyze this. And in our short time, I'm only going to scratch the surface. I'm going to touch on a few aspects of design that we think start to expose and reveal the words behind God's design philosophy. It says in Corinthians 13, 12, that for now we only see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, and then shall I know fully. So, great. I can only look at this through a dim, foggy, dark mirror. But I think it's still important that we look at it. I think it's still important that we try. We don't understand it fully, and only on the other side of heaven will we fully appreciate what God was really doing in his creation. And by the way, I think we'll see it so much richer and we'll see things we can't even begin to fathom and understand. So I want to consider something rather ordinary, at least might be by your description. As a child, you might have known this little insect, a roly-poly bug, a doodle 
beetle or whatever you might have called this. You might have kicked these around on the sidewalk as a kid or found out that you could play with them like these little miniature balls. But this genius little creature is actually not even an insect. It's a crustacean. It's related to a shrimp. It rolls up into a ball, and in this spherical form, it defends itself so that its predators don't know that it's an insect or that it's a crustacean. And it does it for another reason. It has to be moist. If these things get dry, they die. And so the other reason is because when it turns into a sphere, it keeps all its moisture in its body. It's brilliant. This thing is an eighth of an inch. It can grow to a quarter of an inch when they're rolled up. These things live for two years, usually. That's amazing. This is a little roly-poly bug I'm talking about. And yet, the brilliance of God is reflected in this, in this amazing creation. So, let's look at a few ideas and aspects, these folds, if you will, of the paper of God's creation. Deliberate design. God is very deliberate. There is no accidents. We can know that about our kids. We know that about creation of people and our, our even the circumstances. We know God doesn't make accidents. But in nature, he shows it perfectly clearly. He's very deliberate. The works are created of this world are purposeful. Sure, some are playful. Some are very playful. But each serves a purpose. And at all ranges of scales, from the molecular level to the infinite. There's a clear purpose nonetheless. And that deliberate attitude of design, that affects how we think as architects. We think about the deliberateness of how we, how we come up with concepts and ideas, about the power of intentionality, about the idea of living deliberately, even in your own life application, but designing deliberately as well. Designing deliberately is thinking about a path, establishing a set of maybe rules or thinking about how there needs to be a coherent flow of circulation through a building and it needs to be deliberate and thought through and comprehensible. Another aspect of God's nature in design is dependent design. Our world is a place of dependency. Species, life forms, phenomena, they're all dependent on one another. Shells require the ocean, the ocean requires gravity, and the moon's pull to create waves, and the moon requires the earth's gravity to remain in orbit, and so on. All these things are contingent. You remove one thing out of that series, and it's a much more complex series than I just explained. You remove one thing, and the whole assembly starts to disassemble, fall apart. Well, that idea is much like reductive design. Dependent design means that one thing is dependent on another, that everything has a purpose and a value in its placement and its design. That's important for you to think about, and, and I think it's appreciated in terms of the fact that we have to realize that God gave us the ability to perceive a moon that's 240,000 miles away, and he's given us the ability to look at our hand and see a hair that's you know, on the back of our hand that's a couple inches from us and appreciate all the dependency of what's going on through these designs. Another aspect is predetermined ends. An acorn always turns into an oak tree. It never turns into a sea lion. 
The ends are always in consistency with where things are pointing. The acorn points to the tree. It's disposition. Even if it fails to reach maturity, those ends and determinations are set by the creator. When you purchase seeds, they yield the tomato, if they said tomato, unless you confused them between the store and the garden. The idea is God has a very consistent way that things are meant to be, and they seem right. And we take those for granted, but those are actually imbued design attributes that God applied to design. Another is the idea of irreducible complexity. This starts really small, and this can be taken to any level, but I'm going to show you one example. This is infinitely small. This is a micrometer, a millionth of a meter. This bacteria cell, there are thousands of them in one drop of water. So you're looking at a simulation of a flagellum. This allows the bacteria cell to move efficiently, and its motor is composed of a few basic parts, all at the nanoscale. This actually has five parts. That's it. If you remove one of those five parts, it fails to function. And this irreducible complexity can be found all over design and nature of things. If you're confused about why this is critical, because if you don't appreciate the creation of something that has to have those five critical parts to function, then it didn't get one part and then slowly grow another one, and slowly the third and the fourth, and then finally by the time it had a fifth, it existed. No, the truth is it needed all of those five, those irreducible complexity. It need, you couldn't reduce it to any less. And that is a brilliant pointer of God's creation. Another is this idea of specified complexity. There are certain things and many things that are so complex that we can't actually even recreate or comprehend it. Most of the human body is unreplaceable. We cannot, we can create sometimes pieces that function similar, um, but just the, the, the massive complexity of the eye, for example, it has so much complexity to it that we can't even appreciate fully what's going on. The eye can differentiate between 10 million colors and it's capable of detecting a single photon. It has the ability to focus with the assembly of lenses and transmits that image to the brain. With all of our technology and intelligence, we cannot replicate or recreate the eye. Proportional design. God understands proportion. We have created systems, and we have brilliant minds like Fibonacci, and we have tried to understand, okay, is there a mathematics behind the proportion and the design of things? There is. There's beautiful patterns. There's this thumbprint in nature. There's what he called the Fibonacci series. There's a ratio that we see repeated in nature, and it's unbelievably beautiful when you start to see that it happens at scales from, again, the micrometer all the way to the millions and millions of light years. This scale happens from the Milky Way to the flower seeds. And that is brilliant. That thumbprint of God shows a consistency and a, this radial shape, whether it's a seashell or whether it's this spiral 
formation of seeds, it shows God's intentionality and his understanding of proportion and design and how he works, and it's consistent. Geometric design. God's very attentive to this. It's obviously important. He makes beautiful things, and they have a very clear sense of proportion. They're not awkward. They're not out of scale. Things are very consistent in their proportional system, and they always as I think most of us would say, they seem right. And it's strange that our humanity allows us to understand when something looks right and when something looks wrong. That is a God-given ability to perceive things, that you actually perceive when something looks geometrically correct or geometrically a little off. Order. This is a tremendous aspect in this world. And order does not mean everything lined up and symmetrical. Order is sometimes maybe something as powerful as the tree rings, where these rings are an orderly representation of the annual growth of this tree. They can find weather patterns and drought and floods and all sorts of exceptional moments in the life of a tree just by looking at these tree rings. And yet these concentric rings, they speak to the order of how God thinks. Pattern. The brilliance of pattern, like in a zebra or a giraffe or these animals that have these beautiful textures of contrast, of black and white, of colors, and we see that they're not like a machine would make it. They're not even like man would do it. I mean, it looks unbelievably, we'll call it organic, and yet there's something amazingly creative about the genius behind that pattern. And you live in a context of genius. You, you have this around you, always. And structure. We have these amazing bees that create these environments that are like homes and houses and places to take care of their young and harvest honey and live in these dense environments that just now through biomimicry and some learning that's going on, we see high-rises in parts of the world that start to look like this structure. That's just learning from nature. But there's this amazing understanding, and all this has been going on and been created for thousands of years that these little insects are creating these structures of beauty and contrast and context, excuse me. Context is so important. Context is something that I still think, especially Westerners and especially Americans, we're very anti-context. Put trees anywhere I want. If I want elm trees in the desert, then I'm going to put them there. And so it's interesting. There's a word we use called indigenous. It means of the place. And when we look at nature, there's not sororos on mountaintops in cold climates at 6,000 feet, and there's not pine trees in the dry desert, that these, excuse me, these beautiful trees and natural plants and vegetation, they're responding to their context. They respond to their weather, to their water, to their dryness. They're, they're an honest, clear representation, and we believe that very strongly in our work. We believe context is key. We, we, we love a place that feels like 
its nature. It, it expresses where it is. When you're in Arizona, it should look like Arizona. And when you're in the East Coast, when you're in Boston, there's a whole different plant palette, and it should look like that. And it should not look like it got confused. God's never confused with that. He seems to always... And what's nice is his system has a nice way of killing the ones that don't belong. <laughs> and there's contrast. Light and shadow is a powerful thing. And there's contrast all through God's design. It, it, contrast is a beautiful picture of something that even Jesus used when he would talk and when he would teach. He would talk about stories of life like death and life, sick and well, rich and poor, flood and drought. But it's amazing all through nature and God's created environment, you see summer and winter, density and sparseness, and light and shadow, and all these expressions of contrast. And we could go on and on, and I know I would lose you. Um, we could talk about adaptable design, and empathetic design, systematic design, resilient, growing, scalable, meaningful design, sustainable and renewable design. But I really want to bundle this up into a curious point of inspiration. I want to bundle this into a way to change and inspire you to think differently. That the design of things created by God should cause us to think more deeply, not just about the places and spaces and environments we inhabit, but then how we design. As architects, it inspires us. It draws us to say, you know that huge responsibility and that entrust that clients give us to think if we could just take a slice of that great creative act and we could apply it to the design of a place you inhabit, could we inspire you to great living, to worship, to um, fellowship, to unappreciating, again, the nature of the environment you're in? We, we believe that an investigation into the fundamental design principles seen in the handiwork of God has led our studio to pursue architectural interventions that are purposeful, empathetic, and deeply rooted in place. My hope is that this transforms the way you see the world around you. My hope is that it inspires you to ask why and to see our creator with even more awe than you ever have before. I want to read Psalms 104. 31 through 34. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This psalmist was driven to worship God by appreciating the environment he was in. And in the end, it will not be the seas or the mountains or the canyons or the clouds or the great galaxies that fill our hearts to breaking with wonder and fill our mouths with eternal praise. It will only be God himself. And we can only have access to God through Jesus, his son. It, we have this amazing gift through nature, through God's designed environment, to see constantly the environment he's created so that we will see it and glorify God. And I hope and I pray 
that it will drive you to enjoy, to walk out of the room today, to look up, to hear birds, to see insects, to appreciate God's created world around you and see Jesus in the world created for you to delight and enjoy. God delighted in it. He said it is very good. That context of Genesis that we started with tells you how intentional he was about that creation. So I just want to close in prayer, and I want it to just change the way we see the world. God, thank you. Thank you for creating. Thank you for designing. Thank you for making a beautiful place for us to live. That God, even in all the hurt and the brokenness and the sin that's around us, God, you have given us a context that is unbelievably beautiful. That there's intricacies in design and there is beauty that surrounds us. And that beauty points to you. That beauty tells us of your created, created power. And it tells us a little bit of your nature. It tells us that you are amazing in your brilliance and you're so beyond our comprehension. But it makes us want to know you more. It makes us want to be near you, to understand you, and to long for the day that we get to stand face to face and we get to understand even then much better who you are and how amazing it is that in that context you love us so much and you know us so well and you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins and we thank you that you care that much about us. In this wonderful and in your wonderful name we pray, amen.